You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the ZabeCast, Super Bowl 54 is in the books. And yeah, what a game, huh? All those things that happened. Yeah. Wow. Ron Thomas joins me to talk about that time Bob Knight yelled at him for not calling his dad sooner, plus his father-son weekend at Butler and IU watching hoops. All that plus Patrick Mahomes even smoother off the field than he is on it. Your bonus, 45 minutes of me, is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Oh, here we go. Monday, February 3rd, 2020. Thank you for downloading. Man, what a game, huh? That came right down to the end there, didn't it? And Mahomes, man, that throw. <laughs> wow. And then Sherman did that thing, and then there was the the, the call that, yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All right. What a game that was. Okay. Moving right along. You didn't record this after the game, did you? No, I didn't. I'm very sorry. I was at a party in Brookfield with a listener who was kind enough to submit his entry to the Let Zabe Crash Your Big Game Party Contest brought to you by Bunsel's Meats and Catering as well as Palermo, Wisconsin's hometown pizza. Milwaukee's hometown pizza. And I was, uh, yeah, I was smart enough to say, I'm not going to give you a good podcast at 10 o'clock at night when I've got to be up on the air on 97.3 The Game the next morning. Uh, I'm not going to blow my, my my voice. I hope my voice is okay on Monday. Going to be very careful with it at this party. So tomorrow on the Zabecast, full Super Bowl recap. But first, oh, by the way, so busy week, too. I mean, this is why I wanted to get ahead of the podcasts, is I'm going to be in Madison for a couple of days as we launch our show on 1070 The Game in Madison, and I'm going to meet and greet the people up there. Uh, They're going to be very cautious and skeptical. Who is this East Coast asshole? And does he really love the Badgers as much as he should? And I would say, yes, I am becoming fully immersed in Badger Nation. But I'm going to meet Barry Alvarez. Ooh. I don't get giddy slash scared about meeting people for the most part in sports. But this, this, 
Barry Alvarez, man, that guy, he, I, everyone says he's a great dude. And when you get him, you know, in a relaxed situation, he's even better. But I'm telling you, he's like the godfather. He's like the godfather of Wisconsin sports. The man who single-handedly dragged the football program out of its primordial swamp of suck. And has since then put his stamp of excellence and focus uh, on the entire athletic department, which has yielded this incredible run in both football and basketball of success and nearly a championship in hoops. So I'm a little bit intimidated to meet him, but I'm looking forward to it very much. So I had to get some things in the can, get some episodes ready to go, and that's why we're here right now. So let's start with Patrick Mahomes, who you just saw play last night in the Super Bowl. Yeah, he was great, wasn't he? Unless he sucked. Unless he threw two picks and fumbled the game away. I like Patrick Mahomes for a lot of different reasons, and I hope he doesn't change to the point where I'm like, oh, God, now now you're wearing me out. Jordan Spieth was like that. I love Jordan Spieth to an unreasonable level. And then once he got kind of big, he started getting snippy and chippy and know-it-all. And it's not like I hate him, but I was like, okay, eh, it's over now. Steph Curry was the same way. And then, you know, certain things happen and he started to, you know, flex his muscles on his opinions outside of basketball. And that's great that he has them and he certainly has a right to express them. And then I'm like, okay, all right, now not so much. I hope Patrick Mahomes does not get to that point with me, but right now he's in the sweet spot. I've, I love this kid. I even love him and I forgive him despite the fact that he puts ketchup on his steak. I forgive him for this because it's still steak at the end of the day. And number two, I think he's going to outgrow that at some point. I used to put a one on my steak, or I at least would have a one alongside in a little puddle on my plate to just sort of run my steak through. I would even at times at a nice steak restaurant ask for it, much to the groans and chagrin of the people that were dining with me saying, you rube, the real hardcore snake, snake, steak snobs, say that five times fast, the real hardcore steak snobs will say you shouldn't even put salt on it, that you should appreciate the flavor and the taste notes of the delicious cow as it is seared to perfection with the chef's own spices and finish already baked into it. I get it, but sometimes I like a little grit. I like a little salt. And sometimes I'll even like a little bit of sauce, maybe some Bernays sauce. So if Patrick Mahomes likes ketchup on his steak, I say, Guy Gazunt, go with God. A, he'll probably outgrow it, and B, it's still steak. So good on him, and I like him. Here's what's better about Patrick Mahomes. This was a tweet sent out by one Jason Kander, blue check mark. I cut and pasted it so it doesn't show me who he is or where he works, but I'm sure he's a media member somewhere in Kansas City. He writes, a few weeks back, Patrick Mahomes and his girlfriend, Brittany, you know, she of the, think again! We're having dinner at a pizza place near their home in Kansas City. Obviously, everyone there recognized them, but nobody interrupted them at all, allowing them to enjoy a peaceful meal. They paid their bill and started to head out the door, and still nobody is jumping up to ask for a selfie or autograph or anything. 
Patrick stops at the door, turns back, and everybody looks up. He says to the entire restaurant, thanks for letting us enjoy our dinner. This is why I love Kansas City. You guys are awesome. And then after he and Brittany left, it was revealed they had paid the bill for every table. (laughs) That is the ultimate no-look pass from Patrick Mahomes. That's great. That's fantastic. That's a credit to Mahomes. And yeah, it's a credit to Kansas City and the fans that that's how it is. That is the essence of a true sports love affair that I think Chiefs fans are saying this thing could go all the way to happily ever after and maybe multiple Super Bowls. This kid is so good. He is so poised. He is so likable. He gets it. And we here in Kansas City, we love him and we know how to act. We know how to behave. We're not going to get up like a bunch of jackass. I need a picture. And we're going to let him go out in peace. At least that's how it is for now. Let's hope it continues. Hi, Steve. I've said it before. I'll say it again. My only goal in life is to invent a time machine, go back in time, and somehow reincarnate myself as Ron Thomas's son. <laughs> Fresh off a tour of Butler University and the mighty University of Indiana. Basketball tour extraordinaire. A weekend where I kept getting pictures of Ron with, with his boy Winston Behind the scenes, courtside, meeting this guy, meeting that guy. Man, what a trip that was. It was. Yeah, it was a great trip. It's always good to go home, first of all. But this was a boy's trip. Yeah, this was a boy's trip. And, um, you know, since pretty much the day my boy was born, I look forward to taking him on a basketball trip like this. We go to a lot of games, as I've documented on here, the Wizards and Maryland games and stuff, but to be able to just to, the two of us go home to Indiana and uh, we went to Butler Marquette last Friday, which was a hell of a game. It was an overtime game and uh, that was at Hinkle Fieldhouse. And I'm sure the ma- vast majority of your listeners know about Hinkle, uh, but it was a great game. And I am a Butler fan, probably first as crazy as that sounds. All right. Now, first um, of all, people are trying to sort out. You know, listeners are like, well, Ron went to Maryland, but he's an Indiana guy. So when Indiana plays Maryland, it's a close game like it was last Sunday. Who is he rooting for? Your answer? Well, let me lay it out for you. I grew up in Indiana as an Indiana Hoosier basketball fan, period. I was dismayed by the Tom Crean era, and I'm not pleased with the Archie Miller era. doesn't mean that I don't still watch every game. But then when Brad Stevens took over at Butler, and I, I, I just fell in love with the Butler teams. Well, Brad and lived I, in your neighborhood growing he up. He was my neighbor growing up. Yeah. Yes. And, of course, I went to Maryland, so, you know, I'm a big Maryland fan. Now, after Butler played on Friday against Marquette, we stayed at home there in Zionsville, and then we drove down, my son and I drove down Sunday morning, toured the campus, did all that, football stadium, everything. And then we watched uh, Indiana-Maryland, and everybody knows that that was a great basketball game, Steve. It was so the high-quality 
uh, as high quality basketball game as I've seen all year, which was nice. It was refreshing to see because both teams, frankly speaking, can get really, you know, ragged. But uh, I was rooting for Maryland. But it's really strange <laughs> to sit in a stadium that I grew up in. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, we had season tickets and to watch all those games there and, and Bob Knight's teams and different things. But to sit there and root, I, I see it, everything that happened, I'm, I was pleased with. It's like 2002, the championship game. I was not going to be disappointed. Any basket that went in, I was pleased. Any foul that was called, I was pleased, except I was I was leaning towards Indiana. In this game, I was leaning towards Maryland. Um, and, of course, Maryland won at the end. And, you know, I don't know. I'm sure we'll talk about it. But the really strange thing was the Kobe when, news. Yeah. yeah, the Kobe news. We'll, but get, get, it, we'll but get to that at, in a quick second. Go ahead. But, but after the Indiana game, uh, we were fortunate. We were hanging around down on the floor. And Troy Wainwright, director of basketball operations for Gary Williams when he was the coach, he's now the senior associate athletic director. He took Winston and I back into the locker room area, into the hallway, and you saw the pictures. We got to be with Jalen Smith, and we got to be with with, uh, the players and, and the coaches. But the really strange thing was after he told the players, you know, they went from this crazy euphoric win so hard to win on the road in the Big Ten, especially at Assembly Hall. The place was going nuts. It was so loud and fun. But then to win that game, you saw Jalen Smith's action, you know, behavior after the game. It was just a really intense experience. Well, they're showering each other with water bottles and everything. And then Coach says, fellas, I need to talk to you. And he breaks the news about Kobe and the tears and the you, – you've never seen a mood swing – change like that so you were in the locker room watching all this no we were we were just outside the locker room in an area where you could not go into the locker room but you could hear everything okay so that was how there's no nobody's that goes into the locker room except the players and the coaches in that part of it how did ron thomas process and deal with that shocking news on sunday uh, you know, to be in that stadium in such an, in, there, there was not a better basketball environment anywhere in the world at that moment. Uh, and so to be in the heartland, <clears throat> excuse me, of the basketball universe and to all of a sudden read something like that, my immediate thought was to the players. And it's almost like you, you know, a secret that you can't tell or that you you know the people that you're watching that you're in the company of okay yada yada, you yada how they would yada, know the yada, yada ron how did you feel you i know you you love life appreciate life and you love basketball and now kobe bryant is all of a sudden dead i'll say for me i got the bad burrito in my stomach feeling immediately as i was trying to envelop oh my god this can't be true. What did yeah. you feel? I felt as a father, the first thing I felt was his children. Cause he didn't know that the daughter was on the plane right away or right. on the, on the helicopter. So it was immediate. My immediate thought was that as a father, as a, you thought, as a father, what, I what thought, a family devastation. Yes. This yes. is as a basketball fan. I never really warmed up to Kobe, not because I, 
I didn't think he was a great player, but it's a generational thing. It, that's exactly right. See, this is what yeah. I've come to understand. I've come to really figure out in my own head for the week that has passed. Kobe was the next generation's Jordan. So I had to imagine, as horrible as it sounds, what if it was Jordan who died so shortly after he finally stopped playing basketball? How would that hit me? Because that's that's what Kobe was to that next generation of fan. Yes. But you asked me how I felt, and I know I rambled, but that that's those okay. were my immediate thoughts. My immediate thoughts were, I'm looking at these players that I know and I'm sure adored with posters and jerseys right. and shoes and stuff, and they don't know, but they're playing. Right. So that was my immediate Your thought. thought was, really look at was. these players, because the, the players on that court, they're all Generation Kobe. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. Generation LeBron to maybe a lesser extent, but still. And so and then yeah. every head was buried in their phone in that stadium. It was incredible. Yeah. It didn't matter how old they were. Uh, everybody had their phone and was what, looking at their phone. What about Winston? Uh, Winston was... Yes, he couldn't believe it because the guy next to me, who was an Indiana fan, showed me his phone. He said, check this out. I looked, and then I showed it to Winston, and Winston's face went pale white. Oh, my God. Um, because that even, you know, generationally speaking, these guys play 2K all the time. Winston's, you know, Winston's how old now? He's 11. And, and so they, he would have seen – well, he probably doesn't remember Kobe when he played because that's four years moved. He would have been seven when he last played, right? Uh, Winston watched Kobe Bryant play at the Verizon or at the, yeah, it was the Verizon at the time. Okay. Yeah. He saw, but he doesn't remember. He, I think he was six when he saw him play, Yeah, but, um, you know, it's just, it's fucked up. That's what it is. And you know, you hear the saying, um, gravity wins every time, Yeah, you know, death wins every time. It just shows there's no one is immune to it. Now there's our neighbor is a former crash investigator you would love him for the ntsb with yeah, your interest in- it's funny because i played golf with a guy who's high up in the ntsb and as soon as i get this stupid podcast van back from minnesota after it gets retrofit mm-hmm. first thing i'm going to do is go have him sit in it and we're going to do an hour on this stuff because i have a morbid fascination with air disasters and i've watched all the discovery channel series on it that's sort of my jam some people are into other stuff that this is my thing it fascinates me and almost inevitably, in every one of the biggest, most stunning accidents, it always comes down to a series, Ron. Not one or two, but a series of catastrophic decisions that at the time didn't seem like that big of a deal. Like dominoes. Bink, 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 yep. bink, bink. And well, then, oh my God. And that's what this, happened here. That's yep, this guy's name is Russ here. Jones, and I talked to him yesterday. He was out and walking his dog, and I said, say? Russ, how, and he said, it, very in a very contrite fashion, he said, too much money, too much ego, bad decision-making. Yeah, exactly. Bad, and he said, bad recipe. Bad That's recipe, indeed, because everything else was grounded that day, and the pilot himself knew this was dicey. That's why he circled for 10 minutes. Yes. Over central L.A. trying to figure out, okay, what can I do here? Can I get special visual flight rules to, to get my high-profile client up to this big basketball tournament with these people who are like, hey, come on. We got to go. I mean, we got to get there. You know, how hard can it be? You got a fancy helicopter. You're a trained pilot. Yeah. God, it's, that's awful. Well, It, it is awful. And, and uh, the thing is, though, when I get older, as as I've gotten older, 
and I learn more about his discipline, uh, something that I always wish I had more. I think we all do. But for you hear these stories about him getting up at three o'clock right. in the morning and, and be, you know, so dedicated to his craft. And then the stats don't lie, Steve, 135, 40 point games. Oh, yeah. 20, 26, 50 point games. Mon- um, maniacally. 33,000. Yeah, yeah 33,000 points. Maniacally <laughs> disciplined, for sure. Yes. Um, let's talk college basketball in other news. Uh, Greg Gard up at Wisconsin is now sort of reeling a bit from a multitude of things, including Kobe King leaving the program in midseason. I want to play you a soundbite from Andy Katz, then you can weigh in on it. King followed up with his reasons as to why he wanted to leave and had to leave right now, and it basically basically came down to, I couldn't handle coaches' negativity. But here was Katz on the Big Ten Network. News literally broke about 10 minutes ago. You spent the majority of the last 10 minutes on the phone with someone very respected in the Badger program. What did you learn from their side of things? Well, I'm going to tell you this. In talking to multiple sources uh, with Wisconsin, uh, this was Kobe King's decision. He was not asked to leave. There were no personal reasons why he decided, as he said in his social media post, he said this was not the right program for him. But let's uh, address that, okay? He is second on the team in minutes. In his last game against Purdue, the game that he played, he played 28 minutes. He did not score. Four four assists, two turnovers, 0 for 5. That's on Kobe King. Why you would decide to this particular season when it's been incredibly emotional at Wisconsin in almost February with a team that's trying to get to the NCAA tournament, unless something else is going on that he has not said or has not been reported and it is strictly about not being the right fit or not being the right program, then transfer after the season. Do not quit on your team right now when you have a team trying to get to the NCAA tournament because that's the perception it has right now that Kobe King basically left them in a lurch and they're trying to get to the NCAA tournament. That's what it looks like right now based on what he said, based on what I've heard. That's his decision. So there you go, Ron, your thoughts. Well, I think it's a mental illness issue, isn't it? I mean, that's what he said. It's come out since then, I think, that he's just mentally he's not all there. Well, is that so is it mental illness or is he just unhappy? Well, is, but there could be a, I think it's something that might have to do with depression. He that's he said he said the negativity was too much for him to take. Guard had to then come out and say, look, uh, I understand that, you know, the current generation of young men is not like the old generation, and that there times are a changing. The culture is what the culture is. Kids today don't accept hard coaching nearly as well. Would you agree across the board? Yes, I would agree with that. They're Combine more in the hard coaching with losing. Right, they're more fragile, and they're more prone to collapse. And now with these, with the leniency of the transfer portal. The decision to hit eject has gotten a lot easier because there used to be a price. The price was, okay, you're going to sit out all next year if you transfer. So do you really want to do this? Yeah. Anyway. I just, w- I just wish that the, a kid would come out and say, you know, the coach is tough, but I'm just not happy here. I'm just not happy. I, I, I'm, you know, I don't feel comfortable here. I'm not enjoying myself. Uh, come out and, but it always comes back to the coach. 
it always comes back to the coach. Yeah. Why aren't more kids leaving? Why no kid has left Wisconsin in the last several years, as far as I know, when it comes to transfer because of Greg Gard. Yeah. And well, Greg was there under Bo, was he not? He was. So yeah. <laughs> good thing Kobe King didn't play for Bobby Knight back in the day, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And who what, knows, what, maybe this I'm kid the fuck out of here. Yeah. I mean, if you're not going to recover Greg Graham, if you're just going to let him drive by you, if the rest of you are going to let him catch the ball outside the three-second lane and drive all the way in here without one guy challenging him, then I'm leaving and you fucking guys will run till you can't even suffer. <laughs> now, I'm tired of this shit. I'm sick and fucking tired of an 8-10 record. I'm fucking tired of losing to Purdue. I'm not here to fuck around this week. Now, you may be, but I'm not. Now I'm gonna fucking guarantee you that if we don't play up there Monday night, you ain't gonna believe the next four fucking days. Now I am not here to get my ass beat on Monday. Now you better fucking understand that right now. That was the epic rant caught from behind a closed door. A closed door back in, I wanna say, when did Greg Graham play for Indiana? What pegged that year? Mid, mid 90s. Can you imagine playing for Bobby Knight? Oh, Steve, shit. Steve, can I share my Bob Knight story with you? Please. You'll love it. As as you know, my father is an attorney, and he is Bob Knight's attorney. And Bob Knight, when he comes up to Indianapolis, when he was in better mental and physical condition, he used to stay at our house. So I called to wish my father happy Father's Day. This has been about six years ago. Actually, it was the year that Webb Simpson won the U.S. Open, whatever year that was, at Olympic. 2013. There you go. So I call, my pa- Sorry. I call my parents at about, or my dad at about 4.30 in the afternoon. Guess who answers the phone? The general. Coach Knight here. Ronnie? <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. Yes, coach. What the fuck took you so long to call your father today? Uh... Uh, uh, here, here's your dad. Have a good day. Word for word. Hands the phone to my dad. What the fuck word, took you so What the long? fuck took you so long to call your dad today? Word for fucking word. That is my fantastic. parents are sitting there watching the U.S. Open with Coach Knight. Give me the phone. Give me the phone, he says. What do you call? That's so funny. <laughs> oh, shit. I was 20, it was 2012, Webb Simpson. I was off. There you go. That's uh, what, all right, that's one last here. thing on bad basketball, and then I'm going to run you through a concert thing that appeared on 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 the internet on twitter and uh and then we'll be done here today but uh old miss women's basketball set a new record in women's d1 history did you see this yes. score 32 to 2 <laughs> <laughs> old miss women did not score on their first 30 possessions of their game against <laughs> south carolina the number one ranked team in the country they had two points at yeah. halftime. They were in the first half, one for 20, <laughs> 0 for 6 from three-point land, and didn't shoot a free throw. I know. <laughs> two fucking points. I, I know. know. This is the imbalance in the women's game, and it's unfortunate because the big battleship programs, UConn, Tennessee, Baylor, South Carolina now, they Notre hoard Notre Dame. They hoard all the good talent, and they're two, three rows deep of it, 
and the rest of the programs are scuffling around for girls who uh, are sweethearts, but they're going to get mauled when they yeah, play a really a, good team. There's, there's not enough to go around. There are yeah. a lot of good female basketball players, but instead of a really good one wanting to go to, say, like uh, Kentucky, where they're not very good and not have a chance in hell of uh, of winning a championship, right. you're going to go to another school. And you know what these coaches, Gino especially, uh, what he promotes is you, you can go to another school, Julie, but at practice, you're, you're going to get all the playing time you want. But guess what? In practice, you're going to dominate and you're not going to be challenged. Come right. here and every day you're going to be playing basically in WNBA caliber game yeah. and in practice. Yeah. And that's what they promote. Yeah. And by the way, uh, you'll be on TV here. Yes. Did you see what Don Staley said after the game? No. They asked her. They said, Coach, you know, you know. Uh, this is uh, the coach uh, of South Carolina. Yeah, Don, Don Staley, Staley, former yeah. UVA point guard, All-American Olympic gold medalist. Uh, she said, they said, you know, Coach, I, I know perfection is something that everybody strives for. And I would have to assume that that first quarter or first, yeah, the first half, because they play quarters, was about as perfect as basketball game as you can play. She said, well, actually, offensively, I didn't feel like we executed well at all. We missed post pass. We missed post oh players in God. the post. <laughs> she said, and then she goes, well, 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 I don't want to take anything away from the score. But I mean, that's what she said. Instead of just taking the high road and being like, yeah, we did play well. Couldn't couldn't one argue that to dominate a team that badly, that that is rubbing it in? That you could have a first half rubbing it, rubbing it in that is unsportsmanlike. That you have a duty to not embarrass and to tell your players don't play that hard because we'll kill these girls. Or is yeah, that you, is that unrealistic? You can't do that. You can't. No, we can't do that. Okay. Well, Steve, how about I, really quick? I know you have some concert stuff, but I have to get this in. Bradley Beal yes, got snubbed for the All Star Game. All right, let's talk Bradley Beal. Let's talk All Star Games and trying hard, and then I'll close you out on concerts. Let's talk okay. about Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal getting snubbed for the All-Star game was so egregious and so ridiculous and so shocking given the fact that who votes for reserves? The coaches who should know better that Mark Bartlestein, his agent, said it's unprecedented for having a player who's got the type of year going that Brad Beal is to not be in the All-Star game. And he thinks the Eastern Conference coaches have sent a horrible message. And the message is, if you are a A-flight player in this league who comes up to free agency and you choose to stay with a bad team, we will punish you. Yep. He, that, first of all, he plays defense and he plays offense at the same level. He busts his ass on defense. He busts his ass on offense. 29 points a game, six rebounds, four assists. This will be the first time in 41 years that someone who has averaged 29 points a game has not made the all-star game. Um, Glenn Consor, the post-game show, which I have called into on more than one occasion. Wait, what do you call in as? Luigi uh, on the Eastern Shore? Just kidding. Uh, no, Ron on the way home from the game. Okay. But, he, but uh, Brad's wife was walking by. And she insisted that she go on, and boy was she fired up. She was pissed, and she's a knowledgeable basketball person. Sure, you know all the indications are. But you know what hurts it, it, it for this guy? He's got no highlights this season in terms of anything to look forward to, unless they really do something special and go into the 
you know, make the eighth seed with a uh, ten games below five hundred. Unbelievable! This would have been a highlight for him to go to the All Star game, be with the fellas, why, why, showcase. Why would the coaches do this? Well, especially when the players voted him what, Steve? Number two, right? The players voted him second of all the players in the league. They voted him second. I, that means he's a good guy. They know how fucking good he is. These guys get the best seat in the in the house. I know. I'll oftentimes look over at the benches when I'm at the Wizards game just to see the reactions. These guys are staring, especially the young guys. They're watching. They're studying. They get to see this shit up close. And this guy gets voted second amongst the players. What could carry more weight than a person who gets voted second from the players? I mean, the coaches, you never know. There could be some animosity with Scotty Brooks with different things. I mean, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't fucking I don't, get it. And this it is either. what happens when you have non-basketball people running a league. It's a fucking popularity contest. Trey, you can tell I'm fired up about this. Trey no. Young, yeah. an all-star, give me a fucking break. No, it's a, it's a sizzle and celebrity league, and Beal is neither. Beal is very quiet, elegant, straightforward. He's everything you want in an athlete. He's nothing the modern NBA rewards he's not flashy he's not self-promotional he does not you know say screw defense for the sake of doing what he wants offensively and that ends up being told hitchhike you're there's no room on the bus for you get out of here and it's it's disgraceful and and i want to know where's ted leonsis the owner to come out screaming bloody murder he may at some point i have not heard anything as of yet and it's been 48 hours you would think ted would come out on fire saying I will tear this all-star game inside out. If this is the way it's going to be, I've got to defend my guy. This guy stayed when our franchise is in a very tough spot with a supermax player in John wall who can't play right now. And when he does come back may never be the same player he once was. He stayed where where's Ted crickets. Last thing I'll say on this Bradley Beal is so fucking good it's frightening how good he is i know this guy he can shoot he can pass he can penetrate he can finish he defends he's oftentimes guarding the best player on the other side and for god's sake he has to play with isaiah thomas who literally does not guard anybody the entire game and they've still won 16 games (laughs) isaiah thomas in his last remnants of being a serviceable nba player barely Ike yeah. Bonga, Ish Smith, or not Ish Smith, Ike Bonga, uh, Davis Bertans, who's a good shooter, but I mean, defensively is a triple minus. Ish Smith, Jan yeah. Mahimi. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, uh, it's it's a debacle. Uh, last thing in the All-Star game, then we'll yeah. do a concert thing and then we're done. Um, I can't believe that the All-Star game is going to be four different games. They're going to have a goofy count-up thing at the end. I don't know why guys can't play hard to about 90% of their full throttle in a regulation East versus West game. I know I'm going to get, okay, Boomer, this is not your dad's all-star game. To me, if you played 90% to capacity, gave a shit about it just a little bit, it'd be a watchable thing. They don't and they won't. And I'm not buying the injury stuff. No. Bullshit. It is bullshit um, that once again, you've got basketball, you've got non-basketball people running the NBA. 
and this is the bullshit you get. Some but the players contrived. don't want to play hard either. So well, someone would have to tell the players, they'd have to say, hey, look, assholes, you make $30 million a year. The people who are watching you are growing steadily sick of your shit. Play hard for one time a year in an exhibition game where you're going to get at most 12 minutes a run because we got all these guys that can play. Fucking but run. Not, play. But not only that, but not only that, when in another in in what experience like this or opportunity like this as a basketball player are you going to have where you are literally sharing the court with the best right. basketball players in the fucking world? Right. This could be an unbelievable showcase of the NBA. Instead, it's turned into a cherry pick dunk. Yeah. Uh, shoot it from you know three quarter court. Uh, it's terrible, and you know what the ho- the the hockey all star game has gotten just as bad. Yeah, where they went to three on three with multiple teams, which I kind of like, but then it's like, well, they just stop skating. They're 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 literally floating around on the ice like the uh, disconnected controller in a PS4 game. It's just insane. Okay, enough of my old man rant. Let's end on a positive note. This was going around on social media. Maybe you saw it. I'm gonna hit you with this totally unannounced. Because I know you're nimble of mind and deep in your memory banks. Ready? Here we go. Yes. First concert. First concert you ever went to. First concert I ever went to. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to play something for oh, me. Oh, sorry. First uh, concert. No. First concert I ever went to was the uh, Doobie Brothers and the Beach Boys at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. Last concert you went to. Last concert. Uh, John Mayer in Indianapolis. Best concert you've ever been to? Coldplay at FedEx Field. Worst concert you've ever been to? Peter Gabriel at the Capitals <laughs> at the Cap Center. Okay. Loudest, loudest concert you've ever been to? Loudest concert I've been to would be Metallica. S- concert or band you've seen the most? Grateful Dead, almost 100. The most fun concert you've been to? The Grateful Dead in Tempe, Arizona. The next concert you are planning to go to? Post Malone. And the one concert or performer you wish dearly you could have seen, but now it's no longer possible? The Beatles. It's good. It's good. You're done. I like that. You I like thought you were going to play some shit for me. Did you not? <laughs> did you not see this going around? Like it was one of these, you know, Bing, Bing, Bing. No, bing, I bing. didn't. It's it's I like didn't. people sharing their roster of first concert, last concert, best concert, worst concert. No, I didn't. I didn't see it. And don't ask me for mine because I I don't have a very deep volume of concert experiences. And that I can explore on a future podcast as to why that is. Since I am of the musical world, having played in nerd bands and jazz bands and <laughs> concert bands as a percussionist and as drummer for years, uh, maybe it's because I was in concerts all the time. Bad concerts <laughs> where me and my high school to- friends were playing. I do need to get out and see some more. I'll get my list for a future podcast. But You need uh, to see Taylor Swift. My wife says it's the greatest shit ever, and I, I know did. you like her. No, I love her. Oh, I, you did? I, Yeah, uh, Brent Boydston, our buddy from Kansas City, when he worked for H&R Block, got us one of the exclusive 4,000 tickets to the pop-up concert in Houston. Really? That was done the Saturday night before the Super Bowl. Yeah. Nice. Have you seen... It's phenomenal. Have have you seen the rain they're getting down at the Super Bowl? It's sad. I know this is going to be played later in the week, but as we record this here on Saturday, it's just getting drilled. 
It's going to rain on Super Bowl Sunday? No, it's going to be nice on Super Bowl Sunday, but last night the streets were flooded. They couldn't do shit down there. You know how those bars, they're planning on making money. Yeah, look at my eyes. They're dry. So a bunch of rich assholes (laughs) in pastel colors and no socks didn't get to go out and have fun on Sunday night. You're going to be in in Madison, I understand, the radio radio show. I am. Thank you, Ron, for your time uh, today, as always. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right, see you. Bye. I will end on an apocalyptic note. I'm Ron Burgundy. So this coronavirus outbreak, am I scared? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm very easily worried when it comes to certain things that worry me, which is not everything, but a lot of things. I'm not scared of flying in the abstract, not scared of planes crashing, uh, but, but certain things that really engage my brain as to, oh, wow. Yeah, and that could be. Uh, uh. And of course, when it comes to simulations of global pandemics, they are always extremely and insanely grim. Hospitals overwhelmed, the healthcare system breaking down, law and order coming apart at the seams. And I get it, this has happened before. And I don't like the fact that there is like a neat lineup of, you know, the swine flu with the Spanish flu, and it's every hundred years from 2020 to 1920 to 1820 to 1720. I think it goes play. Well, I'm not sure what it is, but I saw it somewhere. Of course, I'm easily worried because I have a vivid imagination. That's why this podcast is so addictive. And so I start reading up about this stuff and I'm like, oh shit. Oh my God. Uh, So I perhaps am too easily worried or... Maybe I'm not worried enough, some say. I do think our world is too damn connected now. We travel too much. We move around too much. Ecotourism is trampling to death the pristine wonders of the world, the places where you go and say, wow, look at this. Why? Because now people see these pristine places that are amazing on all their social media feeds. And they say, well, I want to go see that myself and get a selfie of my, of my own standing in front of whatever. And because global airfare is modern and relatively cheap, people save their money and they go off and they visit these places in huge numbers. It's too much. One ripple somewhere far away over there will send waves all over the globe. And at times it feels like the whole world is very house of cards ish. And then you add the internet to that, which I think is a ticking time bomb of sorts. That's why I went on that rant about, (laughs) am I a fan of internet banking? No. And of course the internet is also the worst when it comes to spreading bad ideas faster and farther than ever. And it's one bad idea that gets momentum, which is not countered with a sober and sensible idea as the antidote. Oh, no, no, no. One bad idea is then fought with an even worse counter idea. And it keeps ping-ponging back and forth. That said, I've been let down by the previous warnings of global pandemics from the avian flu to SARS to Ebola 
I remember when Y2K was going to be, oh, all the computer systems are going to go on the French, so we haven't done enough. I saw both asteroids, asteroid movies, Deep Impact and Armageddon. I can't remember which one I'd live, Tyler. I think that was Armageddon, and Deep Impact was Taya Leone. Ah, got it. Nailed it. Ding. I've worried over the past about suitcase nukes and anthrax attacks far and wide. I've worried about shoulder-fired stinger missiles taking down commercial jetliners. I'm thinking, why doesn't some crazy terrorist just go pick one of those up in Somalia, fly here, or take a boat here, go set up in the woods, wait for a 747 to come over, and boom, done, out of the sky. No defense for it. Everyone says, oh shit, that's how easy it is to kill 300 people? I'm not flying. None of that ever happened. Sleeper cells, 9-11 anniversary attacks, and on and on and on. Of course, maybe I don't give the world enough credit for resilience. That there are always countermeasures to everything. That people are always making their own internal calculations. That yes, when there is a pandemic that rises up, or a potential pandemic, people start making those individual decisions of, yeah, I don't need to go on that business trip. Of course, I'm going to Mexico. That that ain't going to change. Now, if there was a thousand coronavirus cases in Mexico (laughs) might be a big difference. We'll see. Let's hope not, but still. So people start making all these changes. The world is sort of like a big dish of not quite set jello where you put your finger in with a disruption and it doesn't just, you know, sit there and everything adjusts. Everything sort of says, okay, well, let's, let's make compensations here. It doesn't mean bad things can't happen on mass, but I wonder about these pandemic simulations. I wonder if they account for what would essentially be a lot of self quarantining if things got really, really bad. If things got really, really bad, people could just hunker down big time. Now, of course, that would come at a huge economic cost games being canceled, travel being curtailed, and a bunch of other bad economic things, but people might start doing that which might help keep it from getting out of hand. I don't know. I don't know. It's also, there's a ton of people on earth. So you sit there like I do, like a nervous Nelly going, oh God, the death count, it's over 500 now. And I'm like, 500? And how many people are there in the world? Oh, wow. (laughs) That ain't much. You'd have a better chance of dying from a uh, woodpecker attack at this point. So, yeah. And I think it's easy for us in this connected world where we see faraway places and hear about faraway places all the time, we forget just how fucking big the world is. How much space there is. And if you can't deal with it that way, you can always just laugh. For example, Corona beer is getting more searches now because of this, which is Amazing. Amazing in a bad way. Somebody photoshopped saying Corona Beer has announced they're changing their name in the wake of the coronavirus to Ebola Extra. Yes. Good Photoshop, too. And then Business Insider apparently found a cheap flight on a third-tier Chinese airline from Hong Kong to New York City For $201. There was a catch, though. 
you had to stay, you had a six hour layover in Wuhan. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get you there. Feel, feeling lucky. Just stay six hours. Just go sit in the corner. Yeah. Put a mask on and put a bottle over your head too. That'll do it. All right, that'll be a wrap for today. Thanks for downloading. Remember to download the ZabeCast app for your phone. It's absolutely free. Subscribe to Friday's edition. It is not free, but it is cheap at about 1.8 cents per day. Helps keep me motivated, keeps us doing what we do here, and I thank you for that. Rate and review so our algorithmic overlords bless our crops and this podcast. And hell, tell a friend who likes good things in their ear as well. Have a great Monday, and we'll see you tomorrow with a full Super Bowl 54 recap.